0: You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. News Talk, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN, the News Talk powerhouse in North Alabama. And this is the biggest show on the afternoons across North Alabama, Right Side Radio. Just like the guy just said, solid, conservative, just plain right. Hey, listen, we're glad you're out there listening. We have, uh, we have enjoyed getting to know this audience, and, uh, and, and I'm telling you right now, a bunch of you have already claimed the mantle of being right-side ruffians, and uh, we're glad you are, folks who are willing to say not on my watch. And uh, that's what the show is for, is to, to remind you of how good we've got it and how much it is worth defending. And uh, one of those defenders is somebody who I'm proud I'm to have on the show uh, next. Attorney General Steve Marshall was uh, sworn in as our 48th Attorney General back in 2017. Uh, he got his undergraduate degree at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's also got his legal education at the University of Alabama. And he served for, I believe, 16 years as a district attorney up in Marshall County. Uh, but he is now uh, our, our attorney general and, uh, I believe, running for re-election. So, Attorney General Steve Marshall, we're glad to have you on Right Side Radio. Thank you for being with us, sir.
1: Thank you, Senator. Always good to, to be with you.
0: Well, thank you. And listen, I know we had a scheduling gaff a couple of weeks ago. I apologize if that was on our end. And uh, we're glad you were worked with us to reschedule. So thanks for being here today.
1: Hey, no problem. In fact, more stuff has happened since we were going to be on last time. So <laughs> yeah. look forward to talking to you a little bit about it today.
0: Uh, I'm sure that's true. And I know it has. Hey, listen, um, there is a topic that I want to get to in particular about vaccine passports. But before I do that, one of the things that I've been telling the audience is that they need to understand that the firewall in my opinion, the firewall against federal overreach is often found in the hands of our state legislatures and our state's attorney generals. Um, And you have been taking on that role pretty seriously. In fact, I I know for a fact, just in scanning your press releases, you've been working outside of our state borders on briefs and related to election laws in Georgia, defending the Second Amendment, critical race theory, illegal immigration, uh, banning transgender therapies on minors, pro-life bills. Talk to me for a minute about what it means to be an attorney general and how that might even transcend the borders of your own state in order to keep things in the right perspective.
1: No, Phil, that's a great question, only because, you know, I get that question from time to time about why is it that we care to, for example, lead the brief for South Carolina to support their field heartbeat bill when that's obviously not something that directly impacts us in Alabama. And what I share is that, you know, not only should we be concerned about kind of what goes on at our borders and what our legislature is doing and the litigation here, being involved in discussions about criminal justice issues and making sure that individuals are safe. But we also have to be very mindful of the fact that we have that Tenth Amendment that is there to make sure that states have individual sovereignty, that the federal government powers are limited, and that when we see there is the encroachment on that, or when others attempt to use the courts in other states in a way that can be a sword in Alabama, then we need to be fully engaged on those fronts. And so it's why, for example, we file the tax mandate bill here in Alabama involving the COVID money where the federal government wanted to say that states, if you take this money, you cannot reduce your tax obligation to individuals or businesses for three years. Clearly that's violative of our Constitution. It's why we wanted to weigh in When Congress was talking about removing the Hyde Amendment so that uh, would allow for federal money to be used to be able to pay for abortions, or when we're out there having discussions about immigration, immigration policy from this president who's using the pen to do what Congress should do with regard to the enactment of of immigration laws. And so, you know, one of the true blessings that I've had is for my colleagues to trust me to coordinate uh, policy issues across the country uh, on a variety of issues and allow for the the collective resources of our offices uh, to be able to weigh in in a way that we hold the Biden administration accountable. I, I think if you talk to former Trump administration officials, they would tell you that the greatest frustration they had in being able to implement a conservative, common-sense agenda, uh, was the fights they had with ACLU, with the SPLC, and as well as Democratic AGs and various courts around the country. And it's why the efforts of the Trump administration to stock our judiciary with conservative rule-of-law jurists is so critical because these fights are still going to go on. It's just now we're the aggressive parties in being able to bring the fight to this administration.
0: Well, I think that's that's so key, is, is, is and I, I love the fact that you're willing to bring a fight, because I think too often in the past, conservatives have taken the more passive, well, we'll, we'll work together with you kind of role, and there are times when that's fine, and, and many times I had to reach across the aisle when I was in the state senate, but there's other times when you have to be willing just to go get in the fray, because that's the only thing that at times they even seem to understand. And, uh, well, I
1: think many times – compromise means that we give up our conservative principles. And exactly. so I think that's why. I mean, there's there's issues that transcend parties, and I get that. But the reality is those are few and far between and so when we're having those discussions i think it's critically important that we be grounded in that principle uh, of of what it means to be a conservative and then to be able to advocate those in a way that that we don't back down from those fights it's one of the frankly the, the, being a prosecutor phil has been one of the great training grounds for me as attorney general is because you know you're used to getting a little bloody in a courtroom and to be able to be that voice for victims and law enforcement and it gives me the ability now uh, to be able to have some perspective about ways that that I can use this job, uh, to be able to advance the interests of the people of Alabama in an aggressive way.
0: Well, and folks who are listening right now, I want to I want to also point out something that, so I you know everybody in the audience has probably heard me say I also do quite a bit of work with the Alabama Policy Institute, a very conservative uh, think tank and advocacy organization here in the state of Alabama. And uh, just uh, last year, uh, Mr. Attorney General, we gave you. Um, an award that we're very selective in who we choose for that called the Policy Warrior Award for those very type of ideals that you just expressed. Um, and so thank you again for that. Um, well, I appreciate
1: it. And by the way, it is the heaviest award I've ever received. I will take that. So it's, <laughs> yeah. It sits in a position of honor here in this office.
0: I, I think I think when I handed it to you, I said, use both hands and don't hold it by the top.
1: <laughs> and you were absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, um, with that regard, though, before we finish up this portion of our discussion together, uh, it is not just you. I mean, there are times when you've been, ba- you, you've been banding together uh, with other like-minded attorney generals uh, around the nation, most of whom I, assu- I assume are part of the Republican Attorney General's Association, but I would imagine there's a few bipartisan issues that y'all band together on. Um, talk to me about banding together with other states' uh, AGs.
1: Yeah, I think you know the collective voice of Republican attorney generals matter, and, and that comes in a couple of forms. One is that we will engage from time to time in issues that, that sit before Congress. And I mentioned the Hyde Amendment earlier, and that's one of those where we felt like it was important for congressional leadership to know that we felt like what was a bipartisan effort when the Hyde Amendment was first adopted with a president who, for almost all of his – uh career in public service had said, number one, he opposed abortion and didn't believe that federal money should be used to be able to fund abortion, that we saw them uh, abandoning that principle so that we had, I think it was 19 attorneys general on a letter that we led to be able to, say, uh, reinstate it, and we hope that's what Congress will do. But also on the on the litigation side, uh, it is helpful to have the, the collective group together because not only... Kind of when numbers are there, it speaks to the importance of the issue. Uh, But one thing that that I've found, Phil, is that there are uh, tremendous uh, resources with talented lawyers across many AG's office with expertise in certain areas. You know, we frankly have spent an awful lot of time uh, developing expertise in, in issues of religious liberty, and I think people look to us for leadership on that area. You take a West Virginia, for example, that has spent an awful lot of time in dealing with energy issues in the EPA, and so they look uh, to West Virginia for leadership in those areas. And that when we see an issue that matters to TAGs across the country, then we cultivate that expertise to allow those states to lead. Uh, because not only is it more efficient, but we think it's more effective in being able to accomplish the goal that we seek.
0: Now that that's huge, and I, and I think that's also that speaks highly of the fact that um, it's not just an Alabama cause. And and you know I, I've been saying, and, and and API has also been saying that. Alabama is poised right now in the middle of probably one of the most uh, dramatic periods of social upheaval that we're seeing, at least trying to be perpetrated, is that Alabama has the opportunity to be a um – Uh, We've been been using the phrase an outpost of freedom, sort of like that that fortress along the trail as you're headed out into the the hinterlands. You've got a place, a safe place you can be. And I've had people move here as an attorney. I do a lot of litigation, but I also do a lot of real estate. And I've had more than one closing in recent months for people from California who just had to get out of that state. And and I I think that what you're saying you're doing through your office is a part of what helps us as a state hopefully become a place – that people who are conservative and and faith-minded know they have a safe place they can go to.
1: Oh, And and Phil, I've heard that from more people around the state, that somebody will introduce themselves to me and they came from Washington or that they came from California or that they moved from New York, uh, simply talking about uh, from a perspective of where their values are and their principles are, that there just wasn't a place that they wanted to be. And, you know, when you look at the quality of life in our state, when you look at what uh, we stand for, and I mean, I think the motto the, of the state matters, that we dare defend our rights. And, you know, proud to, to be in a role where I have a, uh, an opportunity to play in making sure that Alabama can do that. But the other thing that, that's also nice is that when we can engage in issues and and to allow for there to be increased public discussion. I use the CRT example that, you know, we had an opportunity to weigh in several months ago against a program where the federal government was going to use kind of the coercive effect of federal dollars to advance the principles of CRT, and we pushed back on that. And, you know, within uh, 24 hours I had a call from the superintendent of education who wanted to come see me and to be able to say that that would not be a principle they talk about in Alabama where we saw the public dialogue increase dramatically. In our state about this issue as more and more people became aware uh, of what was attempting to be advanced. Uh, Again, that radical agenda that you described earlier uh, on an issue that not only is factually and historically incorrect, uh, but clearly designed to divide people and not unite them.
0: Well, Mr. Attorney General, we're going to take a brief break. Could you hang on through the uh, break? Because I'd like to talk to you uh, when we come back about um, vaccine passports and some statements that have recently been uh, promulgated through your office to help people understand them, but also what do you do if somebody violates that vaccine passport law? Uh, You'll hang on to the break, sir. We'll be right back with you. Is that okay? Great. All right. All right. Listen, folks, Right Side Radio here, News Talk, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. Right Side Radio is that place where we like to say we're solid, conservative, and just plain right. You hang on through the break. We'll be back with Attorney General Steve Marshall to finish up a conversation you're going to want to hear. So vaccine passports, they are banned in Alabama for the most part. But what happens if somebody decides to basically just blow it off? We'll talk about it when we come back. Right after this. News Talk, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WBNN the News Talk powerhouse in North Alabama, and the biggest show across North Alabama in the afternoons is this one, Right Side Radio. I'm your host, Phil Williams, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Uh, we're going to go back to our conversation with Attorney General Steve Marshall, who's on the show with us right now. and. Mr. Attorney General, your office came out with some uh, much-needed guidance uh, in the past week or so uh, that related directly almost uh, to, well, not almost, but did relate directly to a story that actually broke here on Right Side Radio. Um, Your particular uh, uh, memorandum that came out dealt with the issue of vaccine passports and the application of Senate Bill 267, which was passed in the last legislative session. Institutions of education in particular, private and public, cannot... uh, inquire as to vaccine status, nor can they deny services uh, for or education uh, based on vaccination. And yet in this particular case, Birmingham Southern, the story we broke, is charging $500 extra for your education if you cannot prove your vaccination status, which your office said would be a violation of the law because it could form a constructive barrier to attendance. Now, there's my long monologue. My question for you is, what are the teeth in that? Is there an enforcement policy or a penalty? I mean, what what do you foresee here?
1: Yeah, we'll go back and talk a little bit about the act itself. Is it clearly stated what was the public policy for the state of Alabama relating to this issue of whether it be public business I mean public entities like local or state government, whether it be private business or educational institutions, whether or not they could require in any way proof of vaccination status. And uh, except for the limited exception education about what has been historically required for vaccination, uh, what the Alabama legislature decided and the governor signed was that, that we should not. And so it sort of begs the question, which you described, is what's next when we see the violation? There's a couple of areas that we've seen that Alabama led. Fletcher's been very specific, and I'd use sort of the the monuments law or the, uh, the the gun changes that were passed during your time in the Senate, where it gave the AG's office responsibility for enforcement of violation. This is one that really sat silent with regard to any obligation of our office. What I think is abundantly clear for us is that we believe strongly that the rule of law matters, that as a society that we should adhere our conduct to the parameters of law that have been validly established. And and there's no doubt that this effort by the Alabama legislature itself was, was constitutional. And so one of the reasons why we put out the guidance, and in fact, we put out some initial guidance at the end of July, and then we, uh, supplemented that really based partly on what we learned as a result of the work that you did with regard to Birmingham Southern, uh, was to be able to discuss various policies that we'd seen emerge, or at least that, uh, for complaints have been filed in the, in the education area with the hopes that this is going to change behavior, and so I'm not uh, heard specifically from Birmingham Southern or see any public comments about whether or not they're going to remove that $500 that would be rebated if you showed that you, in fact, have been vaccinated. Uh, my well, hope is that they will recognize that uh, this analysis is correct and, and will follow the uh, the guidance that we've been given along with other areas that, that we've seen. General, you know, I, the, I, the reality, Phil, will... is that an individual, say a student at Birmingham Southern, would have the right uh, to be able to argue that uh, that policy is in violation of this act and that they should be uh, enjoined from the enforcement of it. Uh, one of the things that we warned in our public notice and that supplemental guidance was that potentially institutions – and their administrators uh, could be liable from litigation that follows from that. Uh, yeah. If, in fact, litigation of a similar nature like that was filed, then we would have the ability to weigh in and provide a more detailed analysis than what's provided in our initial guidance as to why we think, uh, that, let's say that it was filed against Birmingham Southern directly, why we think that uh, their uh, policy itself was in violation of this act. But the one thing that we do have to be careful of at the AG's office is, you know, we're not here to initiate litigation on every individual violation of law that occurs across the state. In fact, one of the reasons why, if you recall, I think this was during your time in the legislature, you all passed a bill banning uh, individual cities from raising minimum wage, and Birmingham right. had attempted to circumvent that, uh, sued me. And one of the things the 11th Circuit recognized was that, you know, AG doesn't, enforce every violation of law that there in fact can be other remedies and so when we are engaged directly in litigation in the state for violations of Alabama law, one of the things that we look to see is whether or not this is broad-based and applies to, to many as opposed to an isolated number uh, so that when we engage in, in these enforcement actions, it really has more statewide application than more individual application. And,
0: and, General, what I'm looking at here is coming up against a hard break in about 30 seconds. But, but what, I, what I do believe uh, you just described is what I anticipated is that in the ad- absence of a clear and definitive penalty drawn into the bill that what we're left with is potentially the aggrieved party is going to have to file a civil action for which you may be able to participate in some role if, if you choose to weigh in or your office weigh in, but it's going to be up to the individual student or other aggrieved party to actually bring a civil action to try and enjoin the activity or claim damages uh, there too. So, hey General, thanks for your time. Attorney General Steve Marshall, we certainly appreciate you and your service to the state and we'd love to have you back on Right Side Radio again one day.
1: Please do. Thanks, Phil.
0: All right. Hey, folks, News Talk, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. Coming up against a break. We'll be right back after this.